Yes. You know your guest this week. John Hastings. Is he the one in the pink man paint eggs? Oh, yes. I've got a poster from his Edinburgh show, Integrity, and he's sporting some lovely, tight pink pants. What the North Americans call underwear. There's a poster of them in his pink man paint eggs. I've got two of them. Okay. Mm. You know how Christmas is coming up? It's around the corner. Maybe you could give me one of them posters, couldn't you? Does he do it for you? Well, Dookie, you know you know how I think you're wonderful and you're gorgeous, and if I were younger, I would do you nice and good. You have mentioned that. Uh, yeah, well, I'm honoured. I don't mean to make you jealous or nothing, but me and the Mr. Hastings, if I was 70 years younger, I'll tell you something. I would be asking him if I could inspect them pink mountain panties nice and close. Nice and close, Dookie. That's what I'm saying. You'd like to get nice oh, and close. Oh, no, I would love to get nice and up close with them pink mountain panties. Isn't he gorgeous? He's, he's a, a fine-looking man. Oh, he's gorgeous. And I'll tell you, because me, Roy, he can't be jealous of nothing because he loves the Gloria Annie Annies. Gloria Honeyford? Yeah, the Gloria right. Annie Annies. Who now presents that show, Rip Off Britain. Yeah, she does all the rip-offs peoples and goes after him and she whinges about the people ripping off and she does all that ragey, ragey stuff. And me, Roy, he won't, me won't miss it. Is he a bit of a fan? Yeah, oh, he would inspect her panties nice and close. Right. So he wouldn't mind if I inspected Mr. Aston's pink panties nice and close. Do you have pink panties, Dookie? I can't say that fuchsia features in my undergarment colour palette. Well, I'll tell you something. I've got no issue with it, though. I would wear them if I had some... If John gave me his, I would wear them proudly. Well, when we have the Dookie Radio Show Christmas party, mm. I'm thinking I know what's going I'm going to put something in your cracker that's nice and explosive, isn't it? Right. And y- you're going to give me a poster of the Mr. Hastings. I will. Oh, Dookie, mm. Christmas party can't come soon enough. Anyway, she's got the looks that cue. Bam, 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 bam. Studio Sylvia Silversmith. Hello, everyone. And Marsha McDonald. Yeah, what up, peeps? 
On this episode of the Dookie Radio Show, we are honoured to have in the studio one of the highlights of our Edinburgh Fringe 2016. Can I cut in here, Dookie? Mm. I just happened to be passing by the studio before, well, I was drinking some coffee the way I do, and did I hear, Irene was doing her singing, and did I hear her mention something about pink man panties? Yes, yes. What, can I ask? John Hastings for his 2016 Edinburgh show, Integrity, used some very eye-catching publicity photos, which really extolled the vibe of, you know, cologne and perfume adverts. Yeah, I remember that poster, because when we were all trying to decide on what to go see, that poster was kind of... You know, it put him up on the shortlist pretty quick for, you know, we were looking for something that night and, mm. you know, we kind of shortlisting things and we were like, yeah, this guy, that's a good pick, right? It's a fantastic photo. And also it drove us to find out more about the show. And then the description about the show was brilliant. The whole notion of there being a murder, a poor man whose visa was running out, and the topsy and turvy world of relationship politics made us wonder what the hell is going to happen to this person. And it did not disappoint. He was absolutely fabulous. The thing about the first thing that you see at the fringe is that it puts a lot of pressure. Even though the performer might not know, he doesn't know that we're this is we're there for four days, and he is the first performance that we were we are seeing so it kind of sets you up for the rest of the fringe because you don't want to have a crappy show no your first show and we'd missed the lovely zoe lyons because of our horrible horrible car journey up there mm. when we got stuck behind a tractor for how long did we get stuck behind that tractor for dude nearly two hours 100 miles or mm. something like that that was crazy so that made us late to see the lovely zoe lyons but i think it's kind of a good thing because it forced us to find something different to see mm. who was the lovely mr john hastings and it was a good omen. It and was a great was a, omen. He was for amazing. A, and his mom was in the line with us. Yeah, she was super sweet. She was there with her camera and asked us if this was the right cue for John Hastings. I was taking photos of, of I was everybody. looking at her going, wow, she is taking a lot of pictures on a traditional camera. Absolutely. Not like a phone camera. Mm. And I would think, boy, she must be really excited to be at the Fringe because she's taking a lot of pictures. Um, at that particular stage, we weren't sure if she was just a, a bit of an eccentric fan. And then we, we later found, found out that out. she's his lovely mama. And she really, really was lovely and uh, apparently supported him through many, many shows during the Fringe. I feel very sad sad dookie that i was at work and was unable to meet the lovely john hastings and whilst i was sitting in a hotel room with no windows you were getting to have a lovely chat with mr hastings and i feel aggrieved dookie a hotel with no windows is that a euphemism for being inside no at her majesty's pleasure you would think so but solitary confinement i am telling you I had to go to Birmingham, and I always stay in the same hotel in Birmingham. There are other cities. There are other cities. And I always stay there because it's really cheap. Yeah, and it's skanky, and why don't you just be honest and say... You don't smoke that much, but you do like to have a cigarette in bed, and they have smoking rooms. So let's just be on, you know, which I'm on board with. This is very true. Marcia is giving away my secrets. So I always stay in the same hotel, and it's always like 40 pounds. 
Right. Because it's my expenses. Yeah, I have cheap to charge it. Smoky. So I have to keep things cheap because I don't want anybody I'm working for to pay lots of money for my my accommodation. And I can smoke. I only like a crafty cigarette every now and again. And it's nice. But you travel regularly. So I up travel and down very this regularly. beautiful country. Yes, up and down. And you and regularly stay specifically yes at a very skanky hotel at guest houses and hotels yes very that skanky offer so 40 smoking pounds. rooms yes so your crafty once in a while fags yes. cigarettes if you will yes are not really that infrequent well dookie because you have you you've never seen me smoking at home have you no. No. And uh, so I don't smoke around people. I just I just think if you're going to have a cigarette, have it while it's going to be nice. Sylvia, are you yes. an antisocial smoker that you smoke when you're on your own? I smoke when I'm on my own. So you're the and opposite like of most other week. smokers. It's, it's seriously like t- two cigarettes a week. If I happen to be in a hotel, because why do something that you enjoy while you're standing outside freezing and people are looking at you like you're a pariah? I don't want to do that. So anyway, so I stay in this hotel that's a real, real skank hole. So you're in a hotel with no windows. No, no, that's and a you're different smoking. hotel. No. Right. So... This hotel that I normally stay in, which is 40 pounds a night, all of a sudden rocketed up to 182 pounds for the night. And that is far beyond my budget. Was Justin Bieber in town? I don't know. what I think that, oh, I know what it was. There was something going on at the local, the NEC, you know, the convention center. Mm. And it was the laboratory workers convention. Right. So it was people who work in labs. Like doing stuff with test tubes and stuff. It was their convention. So I don't know. You can go out and see the latest in Bunsen burners. Discover the latest beakers. But discover the latest beaker. But what it did was kicked me out of my normal hotel and into a pod. Lab bastards. Yeah, the lab bastards. It kicked me into a pod, Dookie. And we all know that my headspace has been slightly disturbed lately. This is true. And when you're in a slightly disturbed headspace, what you don't want to do is be sitting in a pod that's two foot by two foot square with no windows. No. But that was the only hotel I could find. Any it daylight was still at 75 all. 75 pounds a night. Right. It was 75 pounds a night. It was crazy. No, no. In, when I got up in the morning, I had no idea whether it be light out, whether it be raining. It was, it, it was, it's a weird experience. They should have paid you to be there. And Dookie, can I say one more thing? Mm. Guess what number my room was? 666. <gasps> yeah, well, that would have been weird enough. I was in room 101. <laughs> room 101. I swear to you, I still have the little thing that they give you with your key card where they write your number down on. It, they, and when she said to me, you're going to be in room 101, I did actually laugh out loud. And she kind of looked at me because I don't because she was really young, and I thought maybe she she might not know what that means. That television series that's still going strong. With she Frank was like Skinner. nineteen. I mean, you know, it's fair enough, but it did make me giggle. Uh, George Orwell is on the school syllabus. Yeah, true, true. But in a pot based room with no windows, no windows, where your bathroom and it was you know nicely room done. One oh one. My bathroom was like six inches away from the bed, so and I'm in room one oh one, and I'm in kind of a bad headspace. And it was, yeah, Dookie, I wouldn't recommend it. How did we get talking about this? You were talking about where you were. I couldn't meet the lovely Mr. Hastings Mm. because I was in room 101 eating burritos. 
you're having burritos in room 101, a pod with no windows. Yes. While I was yucking it up. You were yucking it up with Mr. Hastings. Indeed. Dookie, I hope that Irene wasn't around while you're interviewing him because it sounds like, you know, it could be going a little, uh, a little, uh, I don't know, not quite bunny boiler, but, you know, she sounds pretty hot for him. She has a bit of a thing. Yeah, she's the, pretty hot for him. For the broad-shouldered Canadian comic. Wow. And her husband's hot for Gloria Hunning- Honeyford. Gloria Hunniford, yes. Yeah. The Northern Irish television presenter. She does outrage television. Yes. There's a lot of outrage television on in the morning, isn't there? Like on a weekday. Fake Britain, rip off Britain, don't get done, get dumb, cowboy builders. Anything where if you're at home, you just get outraged at the state of how human beings can act. And Gloria Honeyford is going to be the person who gets outraged on your behalf. She does it in a very subtle pensioner, Northern Irish kind of way. But... She's still outraged. Oh, what? So she's age appropriate for Roy. Well, how old is this Gloria Honeyford? I would imagine she's in her early 70s now. Late okay. 60s at so, the yeah, youngest. So I thought you were going to say she's like 30, which no. would be kind of weird. So yeah, age appropriate. Indeed. So yeah, whereas Mr. Hastings isn't quite age appropriate for Irene. No. I don't want it, but neither are you. So, you know, I don't want it. She likes a younger guy. That's all I'm saying. Irene she wants did- to be a cougar. Yes. Yeah, all right. I got you. What do you call a really old cougar? A John Cougar? <laughs> a Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> I'm John Hastings, and my current favorite word is automatopoeia. Automatopoeia. Any particular reason why I just this... like saying it. It's fun to say. It's a good sounding word. It sounds like a, a nice Italian restaurant you'd go to. Hey, welcome to Automatopia. Automatopia. Like one of those Italian places when you ask for salt and they treat you like you just asked to take a shit in the kitchen. One of those places. Mm. I like that. Would the bogs be nice, though, in that particular place, in your brain? I hope so. I I don't know. It depends on where it is. If it's, you know, Europe, less better bathrooms than North America. You're not wrong there. The the loos on this side of the pond are horrible. Which is because you didn't have buildings that were designed to have places for people to go mud. You know what I mean? Like, it was, you know, they were supposed to, they, you know, London was was supposed to be abandoned at a certain point because there weren't going to be enough room for all the horses and they wouldn't be able to clean up all the horses or something crazy like that. Mm. There was a study done. A couple of things, like London, there was, they could have redone a bunch of the roads after a fire and they were like, because these things called cars were coming and they were like, now you're fucking crazy. We'll never... (laughs) We'll always need horses, which is why all the roads are still super bendy, because you can't have a straight road or a horse will start running. That's a good point. I don't really think about that. Yeah, that's why every road has a slight curve, Mm. for the most part, unless you're in, like, Milton Keynes and places like that, which were designed with cars in mind, but everything else was designed with horses in mind for the most part. Milton Keynes, a place designed by committee, and doesn't it show? It's such a weird place. It is really, really odd. When you first went there, did you feel that North American influence? Yeah, you feel what it looks like. There's a, I I don't know, I stole this concept from someone, but I really like it, which is there's certain things that are drag queen versions of other things. And the idea drag queen is doing such an exaggerated version of a woman it's clear it's not necessarily a woman, but you buy into the campness and the ridiculousness of the entire thing mm. and go into the character. In the same way, there's a lot of versions of that. Like, It feels like times like a lot of football players are men, but they're doing a drag queen version of a man where they're like, 
I've had sex with 11 women last night and like, look how good I kicked the ball. It's like, yeah, we get it. You got a lot of muscles and you're a football player. You don't need to do that. And it feels like Milton Keynes is being a drag queen of an American suburb. And then like, they have that complex with a Frank and Benny's and some sort of odd sports bar. Mm. It's called like the lone gentleman and a Tesco's that's uncomfortably large. Like, it's just, it's madness. As a North American, does a tranified North American style, a suburban sprawl, does it offend you? Oh my God! Like you wouldn't believe. It. And I grew. I will say I grew, didn't grow up in suburbans. We were talking about talking, talking off pod. I grew up in in Ottawa, in an area that loves a suburb. But I didn't grow up in a suburb. I grew up in what was the like was where all the cottages were for the government officers, because at a horse and buggy it was like an hour's jaunt away, and then they invented the car and it was five minutes away. So that's. Well, I grew up so it wasn't that suburban-y sprawl. Mm. And then a bunch of houses that were built in World War II because when Canadian soldiers came back from the war, the government was like, we'll give you a house. So you have all these like weird one-room houses, which you'll never see. That will never exist again. No, they, it's in this country, we had a Homes for Heroes was the name of the scheme. Was it the yeah, same scheme yeah, it the in, same in Canada? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So everyone got a house. You got a house if you came. It's a house or university, I think is what it was. Mm. Or maybe both, depending on... Anyway, so you have houses that are... Like a like a one bedroom apartment now. They're like that's something that will never happen again. No, in North America ever. You'd think you know, be a little bit more generous to the heroes. Mm-hmm. Two bedrooms at least. One bedroom. That sounds like a a home that you give to a hero in London now. Now, and not even like a like a war hero. Just like a guy who prevented a lady from jaywalking. Not even with traffic coming. If you had a one-bedroom house in London, you're literally a millionaire. You're literally a millionaire. This is an expensive city. People are leaving it, though. Abandonment is happening. There was a documentary recently on television in which uh, they're talking about all the hipsters who can't afford Hackney and and places like Finsbury Park where you live and and disappearing to Margate, Ramsgate, any kind of gate on the Kentish coast. What's even crazy, it's that or they're going up to Manchester. Like it's even what's even crazier is like you go to places like you think L.A. is really expensive. And then, like, I was talking to people, and, like, everyone has a one-bedroom apartment, and it's, like, it's $1,000 a month. And I'm like, all right, so give or take, that's 700 quid. And I'm like, that's fucking amazing. And if we're talking, like, beautiful, sprawling, one-bedroom, like, nice North American houses, and you're just like, oh, it's controlled rent. Like, that should exist in London more. I don't know. Controlled rent does not uh, exist here. If anything, it's uncontrolled, and it's guaranteed to go up. And it's London is in is in a state of flux at the moment. I mean, eventually it'll be just millionaires living here and, and the, when, when the hipsters can't afford it, you know a city is on the way. It just collapses, though. It's going to collapse because, well, depending on... As we're recording it this morning, the Supreme Court has stepped in on Brexit and kind of been like, Oi, go fuck yourself. you got to make it. You got to appeal that to the court. We're not just taking a referendum and letting you run... I don't know if you saw the paper. The Supreme Court basically went, No, you. it's got to be a parliamentary decision. Right. Which then that's a much more interesting situation because the thing is is that most of them are not forward at this point because they know what it is and it's mm. also if labor's smart again make a coalition get everyone on board and just stop it and even then the supreme court and goes and even then we may not acknowledge it what they're sort of like i sort of spent 20 minutes reading this while i was eating breakfast but there's sort of some scuttlebutt that they think that you know other influences business interests of stuff like that have called people up and been when I'm not losing 30% of my qualified employees 
because you fuckers were afraid that UKIP was going to take your party? Like, go eat cheese, pals. We're staying in Europe. Thank you so much. It feels so nice to be performing here in my new home, the United Kingdom. I've been here for two years, and I love it here now. When I arrived, not so much. This was not the island I was told it would be. In my head, the United Kingdom would be an island full of grannies waiting to give me tea and advice. But that's not what this island is, is it? No. This island's like living inside your dad's head while he's driving, just needlessly angry and accidentally racist all the time. Since you moved here, you've witnessed some very interesting referendums let's get through, taking let's, place. Let's go through it. I moved here. Olympics. Good start. Revelation of Jimmy Savile being the biggest <laughs> pedophile that ever happened, which was, it was jaw-dropping purely from a place of like, what what was going on on, te- on television in this country that a show called Clunk Clink was popular? It just, just talked about driving in cars. That was bizarre. <laughs> that happened. Scottish referendum happened. Mm. Uh, David Cameron wins majority election. The rise of UKIP. Brexit vote. Mm. Bruce Forsyth leaves strictly. Goodness. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you, you have saved the, the most uh, poignant and most emotional uh, most uh, long-lasting for Here, last. Here's, by the way, the craziest thing. So Brexit vote happens. Two people from Canada call me. Great British Bake Off moves from BBC to, to Channel, Channel 4. Six calls. Really? Yeah. So the rest of the world just cares about our cakes. Uh, they just care about that show. Because I don't know if you've ever watched The Great British Bake Off, but it's absolutely riveting cack. Like, it's <laughs> bullshit. But there's just something about... A builder from Walthamstow with a neck tattoo who makes an eaten mess that's to die that you're just like, this is the most riveting piece of... Like, where the fuck... Why they're filming in a tent has yet to been explained when they could just as easily film in a studio and be unaffected by the heat. Like, there's just so much about it where I'm like, you don't need to do it this way, but I love it. (laughs) I I mean, that's a really, really good point. Is it that summer, marquees, people associate marquees with weddings, wedding cakes. There you go. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, maybe it is. I think it's also just the fact that it's... Classless in a way. It's classless. It's also, it's an old woman and a man with a goatee telling people to go fuck themselves. And Mm. that's like, I think the thing with that type of competition reality television, it's also like, these are people that are actually really good. You, We all have some cursory knowledge of baking. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know... What's sort of involved? You know what you want it to look like. They explain it to you very well. And then there's a dramatic moment where they cut in to the toffee tart. And they're like, it's fucking spongy, you dumb bitch. Like, it's just... On this most recent series, who were you rooting for? I haven't caught up to this most recent series. I right. like started at the beginning when it happened. So I'm like two series behind. But uh, I know that, that the woman, whoever, what her, what's her fucking name? The one who's become a celebrity. Nadia. Nadia. I know that she, I think she didn't even win, didn't she? Like she got, lim- didn't she get eliminated or something? Like oh, no, 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 Nadia won. Okay, Nadia, Nadia won. won. It was quite emotional. Mm. It was, particularly for a show like that. And she's, she's fab. I, I'm oh, wait, listen, I'm all guilty as charged. I do watch it. Of course, who does? Everyone watches it. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I can't get behind Strictly Come Dancing. I can't get behind any of the other ones. But Great British Bake Off, it's perfect. Because it's also like Top Chef, which I don't know if you've ever got over here. 
Oh, I've seen it on one of the other channels. I mean, that's a... I don't know, it's a bit too North American testosterone for me personally. There's, mm. uh, I think I'm just too wimpy. I guess so, yeah. So Top Chef, for the, it's basically, it's actual, real, high-level, amazing chefs. And I, I dated a chef who's, who got me into it. And then I've worked in kitchens, so I have an understanding of what they're actually doing. And they're being asked to do impossible things like pre- prepare surf and turf with foie gras in an hour and ten minutes. And like they're like... Well, you can't with those ingredients. That's a fucking disaster. So you have to be very creative and interesting about how you deconstruct. And it's just it's cool to watch. I just like things that involve skill. Like we were talking about, like you're a musician. I always have a, a cool interest in musicians for the simple fact that it's one of those art forms where there's so much practice that you have to continually do. Where like even you can get as good as Jimi Hendrix, but you'll lose it if you're not going diddly 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 every day. I was like, you need to diddly d. Yeah, diddly dean is important, and also it means that at some stage you were an antisocial, maligned piece of work, bad at sport. This applies to the majority of musicians. I'm sure there are others who are exceptions. And yeah, it's it's that uh, the inevitable teen years being stuck in the room doing scales when other people yeah. were becoming football legends or baseball legends or cricket legends exactly i've made it i've made it you know across the pond but what's interesting is that they both it's the same end goal which is girls i always think like you know what mm. i mean like you pick up a guitar to get girls you kick a ball to get girls you tell jokes to get girls at first and then you were like actually i like this way more than trying to go get girls because you know a stratocaster's never rejected me for someone who kicks a ball <laughs> Provided the strut has tuning stability, you're going to be fine. I don't even know what you just said. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Mm. You grew up in the Canadian capital. Now, I've had the pleasure of playing Ottawa a number of times, but this interview is not about me. It is about you. Well, it's true, but I always, I always, well, yes, I did grow up. We were talking about Zaphod's Beetle Box, which is the bar at the end of the universe. Go there. Mm. If you're in Ottawa this Christmas season, I will be drunk with my idiot friends next door so actually so you saw my show in Edinburgh I did so the bar mentioned the Dominion Tavern mm. is next door to Zaphod's Beetle Box is where it is is that where it I I went in there yeah, it, after sound check and it's a bag of shit dive bar <laughs> it's horrible yeah that's the, it's a nasty venue so that's where it all happens that is where it, it that is where there was a altercation long story short I did a stand up show that basically evolved. a friend of mine's sister as it was revealed was an escort and it inadvertently got told to her brother via text messages and shenanigans ensued and so yeah that's where it was revealed because that's our local like it's it's one of those things where I play a game with myself when I go home in the holidays which is countdown until I find I meet someone I know and I've yet to go more than an hour or it's like yep there we go and it's also because you everyone goes to the same places that they've been going to since they were 18 and i'm one of sort of seven or eight people from my high school graduating class who's left ottawa for an extended period of time so Mm. you just will find them around christmas hammered drunk in the byword market either at zaphod's or one of the weird club club nonsenses i avoided those Mm. the one thing that's amazing about ottawa is for a canadian city the road that gets you there if you're traveling from the the west it reminds me of driving to norwich it's a really where are you coming from toronto okay so you're coming from oh and then someone put you on highway seven and didn't put you on the or wait when did you go oh this was about five years ago was the last time i was there that's so weird they, they didn't put you on the 417 
Um, it may have been the four. Does the four seventeen take you all the way to? No, Ottawa? it's not the four seventeen. Four hundred one. The four hundred one will take you. Does it take you all the way to? Ottawa? It can take. There's two <clears throat> two ways. It's right. old Highway Seven, which is legitimately a two-lane highway mm. logging road. Oh, that's the one that we that we were on, and I thought, oh, the Canadians are so understated and brilliant. Even the road to the, the capital city. There is a is mega highway. There is a mega highway that goes the other way. But here's the the big dispute between people who live in Toronto and Ottawa, and it's the stupidest fucking argument because there is a perfectly proven method to test which one is faster. They'll be like, old Highway Seven is faster. 401's faster. Here is the issue. The 401 geographically is shorter distance, and you can go faster in a car. But people will still put people on old Highway 7. So you're on the 401, and then you turned off at Belleville, and you drove down through like four small towns, and you literally turned left at a stoplight, which shouldn't be on a motorway. And you drive down a two-lane highway passing where Avril Lavigne is from, Napanee. I went to the the Wendy's where she used to, to work. work. Yeah. And there's like uh, photos you- of her everywhere. And it's the most uncomfortable thing. You're like, other things have happened. The amount, when she got famous, the amount of guys I know who claimed to have fingered her in a field. If that's true, she couldn't be famous because she would still be sore from the rubbing. Like, it's just ridiculous. Finger blasting Avril Lavigne. How many people have really done it? We will find out yeah, on this Dookie n- Radio just show. Just knuckle jamming the skater boy? Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. <laughs> have you been to that Wendy's, though? Yeah. Like, like you, I grew up there, and then I lived in Montreal and Toronto and was a road comic for five years. I've, I've been... You could blindfold me and leave me in most parts of Ontario, and I could walk home within about... I just need a bearing of, like, all right, that's where the moon is. What highway are we on? Six? Highway six, motherfuckers! All right, there's a Tim Hortons that way. There's a sketchy Arby's over there. There was a police station. Like, yeah, I just know it. I saw a YouTube clip in which you described yourself as being young, dumb, and full of McDonald's. You know, I'm young, I'm dumb, and full of McDonald's. Obviously, you've made some dietary changes since then. When is that YouTube clip from? I don't even... I would... I'm going to guesstimate here. I think you were... Three years into your comedy career, which would oh no, where is that? Which would date it to two thousand nine? No, that would be yeah, two thousand eight. Two thousand yeah, two thousand six to start. So yeah, two thousand eight. Wait, what? What am I? Do you remember what I was wearing or looked like? You looked brilliant. You really looked amazing. Very good. If I was that way inclined, <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, very good. No, but I was in a black shirt and jeans in like a weird painted room. Uh, I don't remember the backdrop. I got to figure you were being, out. You genuinely were being quite funny. I don't want to embarrass you. I do remember a factoid from mm. that interview that may make it all crystal clear once again. You were being interviewed by a dark-haired lass who was quite aesthetically pleasing, and you made reference to her being cute and how nice it was to be interviewed by her. Oh, Veronica, I remember that. It was for Watch Mojo. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, Watch yeah, Mojo. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah, that was actually, yeah, it was 2009. Yeah, I just moved right. to Toronto, and I was brutally hungover. I remember that. And you mentioned that you just had had a, a ham and egg McMuffin earlier in, in the morning. I yeah, think yeah, you, were yeah. feeling, you were feeling it and the hangover. Oh, it was a mess. It was basically, I'd come to Montreal. I think I'd come to Montreal on the back of a breakup in Toronto. And they asked to interview me because I did some work for that company. And they're like, great. And they're like, well, you can do it at 8 a.m. And I agreed to it the night before at like 11.30 and then got steaming drunk, like illegally hammered. And uh, and woke up the next day. Was like, oh god, here we go, and went back. Yeah, it was bad news. I knew that that interview took place in Canada. I was surprised that you mentioned McDonald's. I expected a, a good Timmy Hose reference. 
I know Tim Hortons. It chaps my ass. It's all right coffee, but their breakfast sandwich is—it's gotten a lot better. But it's just not the option. And also, I was in Quebec, and Tim Hortons, up until recently, was not the monolith. For those of you listening, Tim Hortons is a donut shop that Canada, for some reason, has adopted like it's the loon. Like it's. It's like if it's essentially like Greg's. It's basically Greg's with slightly mm. cleaner bathrooms. Like that's all it really is. But it's just everywhere. And the difference is that just Canada's a driving culture, and it's also fucking cold at night. So you need a hot. You just have hot drinks all the time. Mm. It's just something you do. It's also weird where it was like they did some brilliant marketing because most of my childhood, it's just where old people would hang out. Mm. Yeah, my uncle still refuses to go in there because he's now almost 70 and he's upset that uh he just doesn't want to end up being sat there with old people sharing a cup of coffee talking about their bankrupted farm <laughs> so where do the young'uns go is it mcdonald's Shop- shopping malls man you just hang out at a shopping mall right. and you wander the streets causing vandalism like i assume what's like in britain like london for the most part in the evenings isn't quite as feral as as other places that i know that you've you know, as a touring comic yeah, you've that you've it. seen. Yeah. I mean, Cardiff at one in the morning. It's, it's a nightmare. Is it carnage. Is legitimately feels like they're, it's a prank on you. Mm. How fucked up people. Like, the police are now just out in essentially riot gear, mm. getting ready to be like, nah, mate. Like, get move on. Like, it's crazy. Newcastle, Cardiff, Manchester a little bit. Although Birmingham, nothing, because Birmingham's a bag of shit, boring town. And nothing's going on. There are other bags of shit. So you're not a fan of Brum, then? No, it's there's nothing there. What are you? No, it's Britain's second largest city. I know, but it, act your eight. Like I agree, but it's but Manchester's clearly better, and Birmingham has allowed them to win. You know what I mean? Like in terms of cities, it's Manchester, London. I feel are tied, but just in different qualities of London's like super cosmopolitan, cultural, mm. amazingly cool. Everything's here, but Manchester is this sort of weird, like working class oddball artsy town that like has this chip on its shoulder but for no reason yeah it's just bizarre here's what happens is you slowly spend more and more time in the united kingdom you start to notice things like you first of all you go is that is that urine <laughs> out everywhere i go john you said off pod that you're currently experimenting with veganism. Do you think this is going to be the new you from now on? I don't think it'll be permanent. I think it's going to be... It's something I'm just doing for the month as a... Try it out, and I think it will be... I think it'll be a month. Right. I just keep dreaming of chicken. And it's also just annoying to find food in the... Like, because you travel so much. It's just annoying as fuck to find food. You mentioned when you were in Edinburgh that uh, you uh, frequented a kebabery on a... Palmyra. Yes, that's it. Oh, it's the best thing in the entire world. It's a disaster. If you want to see anyone famous or just anyone compromised late at night in Edinburgh, Palmyra, a kebab shop on Nicholson Street, head there. And it's not actually that good. The better one is down the way on Nicholson Square, but it closes early, so everyone ends up in Palmyra. And the pizza at Palmyra actually is pretty good. You know it was invented by monks who ran out of heroin? It's the most evil origin story ever. Why are monks doing heroin? And also, why are they like, we're out of heroin, what are we gonna do? I don't know, well this tastes like cough syrup that's been microwaved in a diaper. Drink it, bottle it. Yeah. Call Motley Crue, we got a drink they're gonna love. 
one guy loved the Motley Crue reference. The rest of you need to get a musical identity. And it begins and ends with Motley Crue. I don't know if you're too fast for love, but I am. Yeah. I'll keep making Motley Crue references if you're not fucking careful. I'm a live wire. Dr. Feelgood, here we fucking go. I have now run out of Motley Crue songs, I know. Because I have looks that kill. Yeah, I had one more. Anyway. How was the gig? Pretty good until the middle comedian just started talking about Motley Crue and we killed him justifiably. You're in Canada. You're doing yuck yucks left, right and centre. Sorry to disturb you. It's your semi-friendly fat doy checker here. For those not in the know, Yuck Yucks is a national comedy club chain in Canada. Enjoy the rest of the show. And at some stage, Britain as a prospect makes its way into your brain. Yes. I was wondering whether or not Phil Nichols' success, Canadian comedian who famously won was it called the Perrier Award when he won it yeah it was actually not like you knew you're sort of aware of them it was more just I didn't I knew that there were Canadians over here it was more just I was sort of five years in was I five years four years in and I just at the time I just wanted to be a comedian I didn't want to do anything else and I was sort of told that that was possible in Britain so Mm. That's I moved here and that's what I I did and I was really happy for it because it's also the rest of the world was booked out of here I wanted to travel so I was able to see the world for free, basically. Like, I didn't need to join the army, and I've been to Australia, Dubai, Bahrain, mm. Qatar, Denmark, like, everywhere but Holland and Spain, and been to every city in Britain. Yeah, I think every city. Like, it's just, it's nice, and it's an, a, a cool way to see the world, and I dig it. Mm. Um, it's one thing to come here to tour. It's another to actually settle here. And the show that I saw in Edinburgh, yeah. August 2016, which is your fourth Edinburgh show. Yeah, it was my fourth Edinburgh show, fifth overall. And uh, which was, hang on, 2012 was unre- Unrelentless. Unrelentless. John Hastings, 2014. 2014 was... Adventure 2015 was marked from the, bel- from the start. Mark, mark from the start. And then Integrity. Integrity. Right. The arc for that particular show, which is absolutely brilliant, which is why you're here. Mm. In fact, on a, a Dookie radio show dating back to early September, which we were doing a, a roundup of the Edinburgh Fringe, I described Integrity and your good self as making me proud to be Canadian and I'm not, mm. and making me proud to be British and John Hastings isn't. And the the arc of that story involves your visa issues for being able to be a legal eagle in this country. Absolutely. Well, it's just, it's and it's anything. If any of you have traveled or had to apply for a visa, it's actually not that difficult. It's just mind killing because you're sat there and your entire life is in your hands because if you don't get a visa to a country, things like, how do you get your stuff back is something I, ha- I have to think about every December when you're like, well, but I need I need my things. They're mm. my like my things are somewhere in Finsbury Park. I'm in a cottage in the middle of Ottawa. Well, yeah, no, I've literally because I have thought about it because I've had delays and stuff like that. And it's just paperwork nightmares. But and you literally just would pay overnight shipping and it would be killer and stuff like that. But it's also just it just sucks. It's just annoying, stupid paperwork. But Britain's nothing compared to the States. The States is insane for what you have to go through. The States, you have to get a physical. I'm aware. I was in a band that uh, we were deported from Detroit International Airport. 
that's a whole story in itself. So your what visa the, oh, issues. I just want to know what was the ban? Like, what was the ban? I I need to protect the guilty. Um, but uh, we had a, a thirty-eight date tour ahead of us, and it all got cancelled. Oh uh, no! Due to due to a Is a the, certain member being a less than no, not being a criminal. We were going beneath the radar because uh. in order to be eligible for the visa, you need to have toured the states. But you really the only way they can tour the states is to have the visa. And we were doing very well in on North American college radio, radio. and were charting out there. But at that particular time to deal with the the legal costs just would have been prohibitive. It, yeah. it was would have been about four or five thousand pounds legitimately to get all of the members legal. But yes, in the US, physicals and uh, all kinds of costs and, and Britain, whatnot. And Britain can be that way too. It's just the advantage of being a straight white male from Canada is that you just don't go through any of that and you go straight to the top of the line. Like I was here for two years on a visa where you're supposed to switch jobs every three months. Mm. And I was crossing the border left, right, and center, and I got stopped once, and they're like, "You, what are you? You've only been working as comedian, yet that uh, you're not supposed to. We're not going to let you in the country." And the manager came over and was like, "Oh, fuck off! Let him in." Like they just don't care in the same way because it's a free and open society, and it allows people to travel within countries because that makes your economy better because it's a free flow of different currency and also brings more skilled people to your country because they have exposure over a, a dozen countries within the European Union. Up until last June when fucking mm. nonsense happened. Mm. Oh, but hopefully we'll be spared that nonsense. There's a Canadian comedian, Alex Lazarev. He based his entire show on being deported from Britain. Mm. It's a name that you came across? I don't across? know him at all. No, right. No, no, no. Your visa woes still inspired you to um, set pen to paper and to turn your rants into one hour of... Absolutely riveting well, comedy. Is, when did you come and see it? I was interested to see when. Oh, I've got something to say about that, and this may give you an exact date. I probably which night was it? I believe that I met your mother. Oh, that's not that's not necessarily the exact. She comes. She'll come to the fringe and she'll go to like five shows. Oh, this was towards the end of the run. Yeah. And I would have seen you a couple of days before the end of the fringe. Was my mom sat on the stage effectively? No, she was a back row. Yeah, I remember to, that to, to yeah, the yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves it because she thinks it's just crazy. She's a professor, so she just is like, "What is this world?" Because it's something that it's an indescribable month because it's this bizarre time where everyone pretends to be famous. There's no rules. It's like summer camp for adults. You can eat sugar for breakfast. Mm. People will come and see your show, hopefully. You're allowed to be a moody asshole because it's not going well because you're losing money, or you're allowed to be a sick, fantastic wanker because you're king of the world. Like it's just, it's an amazing month. I recommend it for everyone. In one of your shows, you mentioned that you were born three months premature. Indeed, I was, and that your mother was pumped with all sorts of experimental drugs in order to facilitate a, a healthy birth under the circumstances. Yeah, it's something called surfactin, which is now used. All the time, but at the time was experiment like a super experimental drug that basically opens up your lungs. It's a super steroid, and yeah, they just were like, "We got one or two options: either we do this, or we're gonna have to manually open his lungs as soon as he's born, or something crazy like that." Where they right. basically have to like hope it works. And um, my mom was like, "Yep, yeah, surfactant away," and that's what she did, and away we went. Do you feel that this has 
influenced you at all like physically growing up did you have any i'm dyspraxic so i don't have any i don't really have reflexes i have to sort of think about all that sort of stuff so is I, that related to having yeah, been born just, premature yeah you just certain things hadn't developed yet mm. and stuff like that so yeah i had to figure that sort of stuff out um but yeah it's just sort of something that's a, it's more just sort of a fun thing to share at parties because any parent will go what you were born premature come six four and a bunch of things like what would you have looked like if you'd gone full term and i was like ah, i don't even know you'd be seven foot i'd be 11 feet tall <laughs> who would lie about being three months premature the reason why i look like this is as i was about to be born doctors shoved experimental drugs into my mother which is the only time you should take experimental drugs which is to save a baby from dying not like oh, i don't think kesha will perform well let's take this marijuana that's also cocaine and, <laughs> and i came out like this but i still have mental problems like, who the fuck would lie about being born three months premature there's no benefit to it it's not like london's full of women that only want to fuck preemie dudes in case they get pregnant they'll be only pregnant for six months <laughs> I have a big thing as a performer, and I don't know how you feel as a musician, but I always think you need to address, and I'm getting better at it at that festival because I didn't used to do it, but addressing the situation you're in of like, if it's like this right now, this is the mood in the room, that sort of stuff. And I feel like you have to do that in those circumstances because that festival is such a a minefield at time for the soul that you need to kind of address it. So my mom being there, I point her out. My dad came this year. I pointed him out. All that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. I remember you pointing someone out who seemed detached as an audience member. And at one stage, I believe he, a swarthy looking man, lovely shock of dark hair, possibly of Latino origin. And he was on his phone and you... Oh, I fucking remember that guy. Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah, Really. I mean, that... It's kind of one thing if somebody has what I call a resting bitch face. But he was really... It's almost like he was checking out the football scores. Well, I have a big problem with people not appreciating performers. I have a, a massive issue with it. To the point that I've had to stop myself because I've gotten... Not violent, but aggressive to the point of like, I have very few skills in this life, but one of them is I can make you feel very bad with words. It's just being a comedian for 10 years shouting at drunk people. You just gain an ability to look someone up and down and be like, all right, this will really hurt you. Mm. And you have to scale it back because if you're in a show for an hour and in 20 minutes, you literally like say mean, like not funny, mean things to someone. And if you're six foot four with broad shoulders and you already look like a bully, Mm. people turn off a little bit. I remember that. That guy was an absolute arsehole. I really felt for you. I've seen many many shows in my time and i realized that as a performer you can get riled up for different reasons and i've seen footage of you you know dealing with hecklers and you've dealt it with great aplomb particularly at yuck yucks there's a a german concern that was the best i I mean that's brilliant that's that's up there for everyone to see that club gets the greatest hecklers there's another incident that happened in that club that i wish to god we had a video camera i nearly died basically what happened a guy was being an asshole. He had a mullet and a white denim jacket and he was sat front row and he was with his wife and there was clearly evil between them. There was a problem. His phone rings and I go, is that your mistress? And she turns and goes, well, is it Craig? No. And it was like dead silence. (laughs) I kind of rally it back a little bit, get the first act on stage and I'm walking into the green room. The green room, there's a curtain off area on one side and there's wind behind me. 
And the guy had gotten up, and it was his mistress, had gotten up and was going to punch me in the back of the head. And the bouncer from upstairs was downstairs getting a coffee at the little coffee station right there where the server station was. And grabbed him and dragged him outside. It was madness. My word, that's a farce. Yeah, it was crazy. And which yuck yucks did that happen? Yuck yucks in Ottawa on Elgin Street. Go there and ask for Howard. And uh, yeah, and it was crazy. Ottawa does seem to be a bit of a crazy place. You can't can't put a million people in there, give them a job for life with the Canadian government and expect them not to fuck around on their wives and husbands. Like, it's a creepy, weird place. Mm. Like, no, any divorce that happens in the... In the 613 is not because they don't love each other anymore. It's like, oh, he kept putting a cell phone in my sister's vagina. Like, it's a fucking, it's a weird. <laughs> As you do. Because it's also a place where it's like, I went to weddings. I went to like seven weddings of people, my contemporaries, that got married 22, 23, 24, like really young, mm. settled down early, old school values, repression. So there's just a lot of stuff that comes out. Like, it's a place where the midlife crisis still exists. Alive mm. and well, and I, you can really see it. You lived in Toronto for a while behind where the El Macambo is. I did, yes. I uh, how long were you in Toronto for? Three years, 2010 to 2012. Right. And no, I went from uh, Ottawa, then I moved to Montreal for university, which if anyone wants to go to university, Concordia University. It's pretty great. Has it's a, one of the great universities in, in Canada. It, McGill, Concordia. Yeah, university. McGill. McGill. Well, Concordia is the left-wing communist to McGill's capitalist Ivy League. Basically, uh, Concordia doesn't have a student government has a student union and quebec in general the students protest if you raise the tuition which is why the tuition is so low if mm. you're a quebec resident it's like twelve hundred dollars a year like it's madness how cheap it is so did you have to be a resident in quebec for a certain period before you yeah, for could a year it- and then you could go ah uh, right had you planned that in advance absolutely not i paid out of province fees but still it was so much cheaper than anywhere else and i i love montreal it's a weird place now because it's a bit crippled economically but uh lived in montreal for five years started comedy there at a place called the comedy works which is still there very different than what I started in. Then I moved to Toronto for three years, which was uh, which was great. I highly recommend Toronto as a place. I have to say, I noticed a Blue Jays baseball. Absolutely, that's mostly because I just when like, you I, like in. I like baseball caps, and I was in America, and the Cubs hat didn't fit me, and it pisses me off because the Cubs are actually my baseball team, but I wear a Toronto Blue Jays hat because I'm Canadian. Now yeah. I'm not world enough to know all of the baseball teams cubs chicago cubs chicago cubs they won the world series last night for the first time in 108 years they beat the curse of the billy goat chicago is a great city yeah it's, it's actual america if you're going to mm. america don't and you want to see actual america chicago's actually america mm. it's smiling overweight people mm. wanting to take you on a boat ride and massive street crime that's the other thing that you, the thing you have to remember with america is you need to have the threat of gun violence to really get the experience which you just don't get in los angeles or new york anymore their police departments are too well funded oh, damn i just remember those good days when you know manhattan felt like you were in a war zone it's the giuliani comes in and makes it all nice it's so nuts because i like i never knew that new york but like I, obviously, I have friends and family, and my dad lived in New York for years, and he just talks about how he still gets nervous. He would still get nervous going into Times Square like 10 years after, because it was like, there was a time where like that was the crossroads of mm. death. Yeah. And now it's just like, whatever. We were talking about cities being abandoned. In a way, 
there's a parallel between London and Manhattan, mm. where London hipsters are having to move out, and Manhattan, it, it, it appears as though all of the... The hipsters have moved to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and now even Brooklyn's starting to become expensive. So, you know, Staten Island, you know, Queens will become the, the oh, yeah, new yeah. hackneys. Of- or it's also, it'll go back to being Manhattan, because it's also one of those things where all those properties will devalue, mm. if depending on political landscape. Like, the thing that everyone forgets is, like, real estate and economics. In the end, it's just a predictive, faith-based belief system in the same way that a religion is. And is affected by human behavior. So things get hot, things get cold. Mm. What I'm saying right now is if you own property in Manhattan or London, sell it now. Don't wait 10 years, you balloon heads. Because London especially, depending on how Brexit goes and a couple other things like... The bubble will burst. The bubble's going to burst. And Big what time. a time that will be. Mm. And then maybe it'll be inhabited by hitters again. Well, that's exactly what will happen. Mm. I knew, by the way, that like the Victorian era... Which was one of the great times in Britain if you were an English white male or an upper class female. Mm. Would still be the fashion base for every barista living. It's true. The facial hair, the eyewear, the clothing. And there's that whole steampunk thing happening, which obviously is influenced by that. I I suppose Britain and our hipsters, we're, we're weighed down by our history. Absolutely. I think it's also a, a massive influence on sort of the, the quietness of filthy behavior that's happening, where, like, mm. everyone's on Tinder putting elbows in assholes, but no one's mm. really sort of openly talking about the seediness of society the way they were in the 90s or the early 2000s and stuff like that. I think that that's also a big influence. University, what degree did you read? I, I, theater. You did theater. I'm a Bachelor of Fine Arts in general theater. Uh, I mean, that comes across in a big way in your show. Yeah. Which aspects did you concentrate on? Was it specifically Acting, the thespian it was, it was, it side? It was everything. It was a really good theater program. I don't know what it's like now. What I just liked about it and what sold me on it was is that they didn't... They openly said, we're not preparing you to go out and be an actor. We're preparing you to go out and starting how to learn to be an actor or whatever once you're done here. Mm. So it just pushed you to learn a lot of stuff. There's skills I use on it every day, certain acting things like... Ideas of human behavior, when you think about a a performer as human beings, will constantly try and create cycles and patterns and stuff like that. In that you tell someone to walk around a room, they will eventually start walking in a circle. That's just what human beings do. Mm. So to add danger or an element of confusion to that, walk half in a circle and then cut across and have a decision to do that and breaking it down into those sort of macro or micro rather elements I really enjoyed. I loved the ideas of design, um, script analysis, just breaking down discussion and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I loved all of it. It's, I, I think it's really good. I don't think theater was for me. I don't like certain elements of it. I find being directed by someone was very difficult, which is why I got out of it and started being a stand-up because I just, you could direct yourself. Not even that. I just didn't like the way that people direct for the most part. I think it's very, very trite. And like the people don't embrace art form, that art form as well as they could. Like I go and see some West End stuff. I went and saw The Libertine. If I go to one more play where every scene ends in a blackout, they strike chairs and bring chairs back on, I'm getting on stage and I'm going to start screaming. 
these are millions of pounds worth of production. It's true. You can figure out a creative way to do that, which is more dynamic and also cuts down your runtime of your show, which means you'll save money in crew and stuff like that. Be smart in how you use it. Video production. Look at like Robert Lepage and, and other really amazing performance directors that will make nothing, something out of nothing, a screen and a conveyor belt, and that's it. Those are such important, impactful design elements. You, you got to go see that sort of stuff. And mm. I think that that's really what's influenced me. And you look at other places for um, sort of inspiration and stuff like that. It's also like integrity was sort of an, a time of I wanted to try and do something a bit more theatrical. And it was and it I did that. And now I'm sort of back and I'm working on next year's sort of show. And it's way more just like a stand up show, like just straight ahead, like Mike in the stand. How's your father? Who's your mother? And I think that that was also came from going to university and you read about, you know, I hate calling comedians artists. I really don't think, I don't agree with that as a title, but as someone who's doing something creative is you kind of need to try different paths and do different things. So you can look yourself in the mirror and go like, Oh, I know what it is to do that. I know what it is to do this. I know what it is to do that. Like, I think that that's really important. Mm. And then also know like, okay, you've been able to do that. Do this now. When did comedy become a reality for you? When did a, a thought in your head to go on the stage actually become a reality and what was the gestation time between I might go and do this and then you actually doing it I was 17 and I signed up for the improv team in high school in Canada there's sort of a competitive improv team like a football team or whatever and I did that and from the second I started doing that I loved it and I was like this is what I'm gonna do forever and I, I have I just like I like show business I like the community of it I like the mm. lore of it all I like you know, certain parts of it, the travel can really fucking be balls across your nose fucking trouble, but it's an amazingly rewarding job. And you also don't work that much. Like compared to like other jobs you can do for equal money, like digging ditches, washing dishes, mm. being an assassin. Like it's a pretty well-paid pursuit to do it. And I just really, really like it. But yeah, it was instantaneous. As soon as I got those laughs, I was like, boom, this is what I'm going to do. Well, your family from what I've read, are overachievers. Your father was the undersecretary to... It wasn't undersecretary, it was basically assistant to, but yeah, he was right. an assistant to a prime minister. My mom was an executive of the post office. Yeah, they were sort of big businessy people. And what's amazing is absolutely all of them have been super supportive from day one. I think for no other reason than most of my family were in jobs that they didn't necessarily like and then went on to get the job that they liked later in life. Mm. And I think we're just happy that, you know, someone in their family was just like, oh, I'm just going to do this now. And they're like, yeah, good. Do that. So obviously your mum is incredibly supportive. And you mentioned that your father also saw some of the Edinburgh shows as well yeah. th this year. Yeah. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Um, so they didn't expect you to follow in their footsteps, either into politics or academia. No, 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 not at all. Like it was sort of brought up. My dad was a bit worried about money for me for a bit, but I was just like, I'll just go get a job. Like I'm just, yeah, I don't mind at all. I think a lot of people are kind of oblivious to the fact that, you know, comedians earn money, that it is a job. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I put my, my pants on one leg at a time and... You have mm. to pay taxes and yeah, yeah, no, it's an absolutely a job and I a lot more paperwork and minutia and job like stuff. Like if you're doing an Ember show, you're sitting in marketing meetings, you're approving mm. stuff, you're reading budgets, you're talking to a lawyer about contracts. Like it's a lot more of a small, it, you're like being the CEO of a really shitty corporation basically. <laughs> 
one thing that I noticed from your publicity materials at Edinburgh is that you had different photos. Yeah. Um, I, if memory serves, you were sporting pink speedos. Tiny in pink speedos. Yes, indeed, I was. And. Was there a reason for using two different photos? Or was it just simply to break things up? I was just or? trying to make it look like um, a, a, a perfume ad, a, a perfume ad throughout the festival, mm. and it, it really worked because people integrity, integrity. That's exactly integrity. what. That's why it was that it was it was that was all sort of intentional, and it and it popped in people because a lot of people a would come up and go, "What is your poster for?" Which is my favorite question of like, "I'll give you three fucking guesses." <laughs> Yeah, it's a perfume. Um, while the fringe is happening, people are suffering from festival scurvy and they smell. And this perfume is here to combat that. But yeah, basically, and it was just it's just a different way. It's a trick I've used before and it always has worked of using more than one image. And people are like, ooh. And what was the anatomy of a typical Edinburgh day for you during your run at the Fringe? Um, so I was hosting a show called Late and Live, which ends at about three o'clock in the morning. So I get to bed around five a.m., wake up around noon to one in the afternoon, eat something, figure out what I'm doing with my day, run around, do some shows, get ready for my show. A lot of times I had a lot of family visiting this year. So it was a lot of go and be social with them. And then go and get ready for my show shower a lot i always shower a lot you're north american i don't know what that is yeah i think that might it be is it. a north american is that thing really a north american it really thing? is yeah we're, we're smelly bastards yes. in this country and i apologize that's fine whatever let your freak flag fly baby <laughs> doll uh do that do my show get pretty exhausted drink a red bull smoke about 10 cigarettes then go and do some late shows then go and do late and live three o'clock in the morning go and drink some water on the patio of the gilded balloon and then leave and go back to bed. And that was basically the anatomy repeat. of the day. Yeah, repeat. How did you get on financially at the festival? Have you been able to break I don't, even? I don't know yet. It's supposed to ha It's supposed to come in this month. So I'll find out this month. I think I did all right. Like, I will probably owe something because my room was small, but that's what the festival's for. And that's, mm. you. it's an investment in yourself and also a massive tax break, which everyone forgets. Oh, really? It's tax deductible. You're a clever boy. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a good old thing to remember, guys. <laughs> Your show is really, really multifaceted. You, you've got several plot lines happening at once. The timeline alters. In some cases, it's almost reminiscent of a Tarantino film mm. in the way that you play about with time and, and how all the stories and the callbacks all present themselves. How long did it, it take for you to put integrity together how did you feel also about bringing in a, a horrible you know family tragedy you know your oh, yeah, my mother's, mother's friend passing it was a, pretty i wanted be murdered. To, i just wanted to see if i could do that and make that funny and it and it did work i really liked that show that show was interesting it was a bit marmite some people loved it and some people really didn't like it just the structure of it which i think is okay i think it's you're allowed to have things that some people don't like i think that's important if everyone agrees on everything then you're, you know, Britney Spears. Like, you're just down mm. the middle. So it's, you got to extremes. But it was creatively really satisfying because it was taking a bunch of different things in a different direction. It came together really late. It didn't come together until June. And when it's something you're working on all year, that's pretty frightening. My Be word. That's a labor of love and yeah, 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 it's right down the wire. But it's one of those things where I creatively sort of think of it as you're sitting next to a ringing telephone and you have to just wait for the phone to ring. And sometimes the phones are going to ring 
really convenient time and you have plenty of time or other times it's going to ring really close to bell time and you just have to work you have to prepare as much as you can and do as much hard work as you can before it clicks Mm. but it will click if you keep hammering and hitting your head against the wall and then you're all good to go yeah you're on tour at the moment do you incorporate parts of integrity into your sets are you still touring integrity now uh not really i sort of for clubs i'll break it down i don't and it's basically just sort of um the elements that are the shorter jokes i'll bring in if it's a longer set i'll do longer sort of set pieces from it but Mm. i'll just sort of avoid those as best as i can or figure out a way to kind of include include them and stuff like that it all sort of depends i also am a big fan of writing a set list out five minutes before i go on stage and seeing what i can remember right just as a way of like okay what can i do here because the thing is with an ember show i feel like you need to be a bit more rigid well like in a club your job is just to get them to laugh when you're done talking so it's just whatever kind of strikes you the mood in that moment Mm. just go for it i think particularly after you know having to adhere to that 59 minutes and 59 seconds of you know heavy structure because you, you is it true that when you're performing at the fringe if you go over time that you know you could be fined and you can be fined as a vicar of volume and a lover of running that light they will take you a long time for them to find you like the, it's a big process and you can fight it because mm. i have definitely run that light before <laughs> and um <laughs> No, it takes a long time. It's more just disrespectful to the performer after you. That, um, fair you know, enough. Yeah. Especially if you're in a room that's like a sauna to begin with. Yeah, my room... That was horrible. It's a hot old room, baby. My word. It was really, really hot. And that bastard who was looking at his phone, he was in the coolest place. He's right by the door. That's actually not the coolest place. Where you want to be in the attic at the Pleasance Courtyard is if you walk in and you'll walk in and boom, right across the way from you will be a bank of seats. Mm. You want to sit there. There's an air conditioning unit directly behind you. Oh, I wish I knew that. Yeah. Every and that's time. the thing was, and I, I kept saying, I was like, don't sit people there last, make them sit, boom, boom. And then there because it's AC, but people would immediately figure that out and go and move and sit there. Not understanding that you're actually making it worse because your bodies are heating up the cold air as it. So yeah. Next year's Fringe Festival, you're already thinking of a show. Yeah. And it will be kind of back to basics. I think so. I don't know what it'll be yet. I got some jokes. So it'll be some it'll be a lot of jokes, I think. Mm. It'll be a lot more stand up y in that it's just gonna be me, a microphone, and a bottle of dreams. Um yeah. <laughs> But in, who knows what it'll be at this point. Initially, you started as what one interview described as a, a, a rant comic. And you had yeah, your no, I don't YouTube know. clips, I know the, which I know the, I didn't know, seem that ranty, to no, be honest. No, it's just Canadians just fucking saying shit. That it's basically just some people go like, oh, you yell sometimes on stage. It's like, yeah, to punctuate a point and so that you're not just monotone and stuff like that. Yeah, like I, I will yell. But, but that's called performing yeah. and projecting and... But again, you've been a musician, you know what I mean? Like the amount yeah. of times, you know, you're you're playing something influenced by Elvis Costello and they're like punk band. It's like, it's new wave. It's fucking new wave. <laughs> it's very true. Final question. In integrity, the person who you avoided having breakfast with. He's called Big Shooter in the show, but yes, I know who you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah, Big yeah. Shooter. And the way that the that particular show ends is that you finally have to have breakfast yeah. with Big Shooter. Did it happen, number one? And number two, if it did happen, did you go to Chorus in Ottawa? 
We did not go to Cora's in Ottawa. The actual story where that takes place with my mom being murdered was actually in Toronto. Uh, and that guy is a real guy. He's a real guy. He's not called Big Shooter. That was all done for anonymity's sake because these p- people are real. And we do have a weird tentative friendship constantly. Mm. But we did the day he was in. That happened the day we were in. Uh, I was in... I was in Toronto when that all happened and he was in town and we did go for breakfast and it was just awkward and weird and bizarre. And then I went and immediately had another meal with my friend, John Schauble. And instead of talking about my mom's best friend being murdered, I just debriefed the breakfast I just had with a moron. <laughs> so you, you amplified and uh, mixed and matched characters yeah, to, to make a, it all work. It's a big sort of thing of everything you have to say on stage. It has to be a hundred percent completely true. And I guess that, I believe that in theory, but I also think that your job in the end is to say funny stuff so you can exaggerate, detract, and affect the uh, absolutely the, the timeline a little bit. I think it's the big thing is that people. Sh- it all just it also depends on the. St- I think it's it's case by case. It's the Supreme Court <laughs> pornography rule, which is the Supreme Court of the United States defines pornography as you can identify it as pornography as you are watching it, which means that you you know pornography when you see it mm. but it can't be described to you as that is pornography you then have to go and look at it and be like nope to me that's not pornography to me that's art mm. and that's the same thing with like is that a true story in the eyes hands of a comedian all right let me hear it all right that rings true yeah where can people find out about your good self on the interweb mr hastings www.thejohnhastings.com or johnhastingscomedy.com both are available for you to enjoy you can listen to my podcast the wrestler review just itunes it the wrestler review it's a how pro- regular of a podcast is every that? sunday so in between all of the dates that you're doing you're keeping that ticking yeah we, over. we block but we block record it which is why every sort of fifth episode we sound really tired <laughs> fair, fair enough john hastings it has been an absolute honor to have you on the dookie radio show thanks buddy i'm gonna go pee in your toilet and enjoy i will That is indeed your lot. Dookie. Yes. You guys talked about Timmy House. Tim Hortons, a fantastic Canadian chain, which now has some branches in the US of A. Yeah. And that's in America. Yeah. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I've been to one of them, t- Timmy House. Um, and y- y- yeah, I, that wasn't a good coffee experience. To be fair, Mr. Hastings didn't seem that keen himself. He compared Timmy Hose to Greg's in the UK only with better toilets, or as the Canadians say, washrooms. I don't mind Greg's, actually. I've never used their toilets, and I've never had their coffee. They do a good jam donut. Mm. They do do a good jam donut. Three for a pound. It's pretty good. As do Timmy Hose. If you're a touring musician or comedian in Canada... Timmy Hose will be your main source of sustenance. I don't think that you should have a vote on this because you don't drink coffee. No. So I don't think that your vote counts. I've never been to a Timmy Hose. You've never been to a Timmy Hose? No, I've never been to one. So, and and no, nobody, none of you people are selling it to me. I mean, to be fair, when I first toured Canada, people were talking about it as though this particular coffee retail establishment was the benchmark right. for for these kinds of places around the world. 
So much so that I was told that despite being a non-coffee drinker, I would love Timmy Ho's coffee. So I did try it. And yeah, what good is that, though? That That's like... It didn't convert me. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I seem to remember having a donut there that, you know, it's kind of hard to make a donut shit. And somehow they managed it. But, I, you know, I'm not against the Canadian thing. You know, I, there, I've had coffee across the States that, you know, that'll make you move to Europe in a big, big hurry, right? Because mm. it's just disgusting. It's foul. It's it's an insult to everything that we call coffee. But the, I remember Timmy Ho's in particular because I think somebody had bigged it up to me. Like, this is the place to go. So I was really looking forward to to this getting this coffee here. And, and yeah. Fortunately, I haven't been disappointed by poutine. Poutine, which you can now get in the UK, yeah, is a that, thing of beauty. That is a thing of beauty, i got to say. It really is the best hangover cure on planet yeah, Earth yeah. next to drinking more. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not disappointed. I've been to Vancouver, mm. and... There are other Canadian cities. There are other places in Canada to go, and I'm not a big wine gal, but I had some wine from... Have you ever had wine from Canada? I have. BC yeah. wine. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Mission Hill. Mission Hill are fantastic. I don't remember what it was. They do some amazing wines in BC. It takes a lot to get me to get through a whole glass of red, because I'm not really a red gal. Mm. But I have to say, somebody else bought it for me, and I was like, this is, wow, this is really good. It was Somebody good gave you BC wine they, as they, a present. Yeah, no, I was in Vancouver, and somebody said, you got oh, right. You got to try the Vancouverian wine. Is that, is that a word? Vancouverian is now. is now. It is now. And that was pretty good. It was good, Dookie, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't drink red wine, and I'm not going to lie to you, it was pretty good. So, Canada. Yeah. Tim Hortons, shit coffee, BC, British Columbia, amazing wines. Amazing wines, and a lot of good comedy comes out of Can Canada. Uh, I've seen some really good Canadian comedians, you know, who are on the up. And, yeah, I think it's got a lot to recommend it. And they have a sexy uh, prime minister now. Indeed. He is very, very fine looking. Do you have a bit of a thing? I do have a bit of a crush on him. Now, which is bad because I'm not really all that familiar with his politics. Mm. And but I, if he's hot, does it matter? Well, it kind of does matter. Oh, good. Which is but the right answer. We, yes. Or left answer. Yeah, yeah, I would prefer the left. Um, and I hear that he is, he is quite lefty, isn't he? The Prime Minister. Justin Trudeau. Yes. Yes. So it's okay if I think that he's quite sexy. Absolutely. I'm not alone in that. Mm. Because when he was voted in, there was lots of stuff about, you know, nice, nice something to look at in the prime ministerial Canadian residence, which I don't know what they call it there. Like here you have parliament yes. or you have number 10. Sorry, you have number 10 here where the prime minister resides. And in the States, you have the White House. But I don't know what you call it in Canada. 24 Sussex Drive. Okay, but where does, the, the, does the place have a name? Does his house have a name? And the, the, the PM Mr. lives in the Prime Ministerial <laughs> Residence. See, you don't know. I've never seen such a look of panic <laughs> in your eyes, Dookie. He lives in the Canadian Prime Ministerial Residence, oh, okay. which is based well, in, up. in the capital city, in Ottawa. Dookie, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't want to objectify him. I just think he, he's nice to look at. Canada. They've got great wine, <laughs> shit coffee at Tim Ho's only, 
and a sexy PM. And great poutine. You've been listening to our interview with John Hastings. My name is Juki and I've been your host. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Show the Dukey Radio Show. The thin white Dukey is right. Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash the Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. The Dukey Radio Show. Walking down on the Sunset Strip 